Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound, the future of autonomous vehicles in the supply chain. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And joining us today is Charlie Jett. Charlie is the head of commercialization for trucking at Waymo Via. Charlie, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Abe. Great to be here. It's, it's great to have you. Uh, I grew up in the 60s and 70s when popular music and movies romanticized truck drivers, especially long-haul truck drivers. Smokey and the Bandit featured Burt Reynolds in the hit song Eastbound and Down. Clint Eastwood and a Chimpanzee starred in Every Which Way But Loose. And Chris Christopherson starred in Convoy, along with Ally McGraw. Those were some Hollywood heavyweights and heartthrobs outrunning the law while driving cross-country. It was a renegade spirit, the call of the open road, and the chance to chart your own course as long as you got to your destination on time. Those were powerful images. I think most of us would agree that when it comes to truck drivers, the trucking industry is in a crisis today and has been for a long time. Now, those movies may have been heavy on a cool CB chatter and truck stop honeys, but they glossed over the reality of days and weeks away from the family, long hours behind the wheel, relatively low pay, and health problems associated with being sedentary for so long. The average age of U.S. truck drivers today is nearly 50. I've actually heard recently that it's more than that. And most trucking firms will tell you they experience 100% annual turnover of drivers. Um, Charlie might correct me, but I saw a figure the other day that pre-COVID, we were short about 60,000 truck drivers. And in COVID, we're short now about 80,000 truck drivers. So whatever was going on before COVID just got worse. Uh, trucking firms will also tell you that young people who didn't grow up binging on Burt Reynolds movies, they're just not interested in truck driving. So it's no surprise that the industry is interested in the potential of autonomous vehicles, just as the rail industry has been running freight trains without engineers on routes for some years. So where are we? What does the future of autonomous trucking look like? That's what we're going to talk to Charlie about. Abe, why don't you get us started? Thanks, Bob. And uh, Charlie, this is going to be fun, uh, trying to find out a little bit more uh, what we all are experiencing right now. So let's start with the foundation setting, Charlie. Uh, what is Waymo Via? Uh, we know that you're an alphabet company, but specifically, what do you do? Do you consider yourself a technology company, a transportation company? Give me a sense of what your position is. Thanks, Abe. Yeah, excited for this discussion. It's it's an interesting time in supply chain, and you know we're really interested about what role we at Waymo and Waymo Via can, can play to help improve the future of supply chain. So let's start with Waymo. What is Waymo? So uh, Waymo, as you pointed out, we're an alphabet company and we are an autonomous driving technology company with a mission to make it safe and easy for people and things to get where they're going. We were started in 2009 as the Google self-driving car project. You may have uh, seen us in the news a way, uh, a way back um, under that identity. And since then, we've been on a decade-long adventure and mission to automate all forms of driving. And you asked whether we're a technology company or, or some other type of company. We are really a technology company. So what we're focused on building is the autonomous driver. And here at Waymo, we call that the Waymo driver. 
Now that's a driver just like you or I could drive a truck or a car or any other type of vehicle. It's really one system that can be used across many types of applications. So when we talk about Waymo Via within the context of Waymo, that's one of our applications. So that's our goods movement business unit where we focus on heavy duty trucking as well as local urban deliveries. On the flip side, we also have a consumer offering called Waymo One. That's also a really interesting endeavor that we've been on, which is a public facing ride hailing service where we actually today have fully autonomous uh, cars serving passengers in the Phoenix metro area, fully open to the public. And when I say fully autonomous, that means really truly no driver behind the wheel. I'm actually in Phoenix right now. I took one of our Waymo One fully autonomous rides to get to and from dinner uh, last night from my hotel. Um, and you know, being a technology company in a space that's really heavy on manufacturing and, and logistics, as is the supply chain and the trucking use case, um, it's really interesting about how we fit in with the ecosystem. So we're creating the technology. We're not making a truck, probably pretty apparent from, from my answers so far. We're also not here to build a large fleet of trucks, operate a large fleet of trucks. Uh, we're going to um, achieve a lot of that through our partnerships. So one example partnership, and we can talk about the others as well, is our strategic partnership with Daimler Trucks North America, uh, one of the leading uh, Class A truck manufacturers uh, in the U.S. And we're partnering with them to integrate our technology onto one of their leading uh, truck platforms, the Freightliner Cascadia, so that we can focus on what we do best, they can focus on what they do best, and we can make the best of that uh, combination available to the industry. Yeah, I, I'm going to ask you a question about the business model, uh, but let me ask you um, another question um, as part of that. So first, as I'd mentioned before we started this, I had a chance to talk to your colleague, um, Shin Feng Lee, yesterday. And um, one of the things she talked about a little bit was sort of the state of the technology in terms of, you know, what the trucks can do and what they can't do. She had a really interesting video that obviously we won't have here showing the trucks, um, you know, live view from the cab, trucks merging onto traffic and things like that. Can you, uh, as part of this, sort of tell us where the, the state of the art is and then talk a little bit about the um, driver as a service uh, business model, because it reminds me a little bit of the robotics as a service model where, you know, company X doesn't buy the robot. It's almost like power by the hour in terms of like a jet engine. You know, the, the airline doesn't buy the engine, GE owns the engine, and then they pay for, you know, every hour of uh, uh, every hour of use. So tell us a little bit about the state of the technology and then explain the business model, the driver as a service model. Yeah, there's some really interesting analogies that that you draw there, Bob. But let's start with the the state of the technology. So I think it's actually best to talk about it um, from the standpoint of Waymo holistically, both the cars and the trucks. You know, I mentioned that we have our fully autonomous cars already in operation in the Phoenix metro area, fully available to members of the public. If you're ever in town, just download the Waymo One app, and if you're in our service territory, you'll be able to hail a ride. So in that sense, uh, autonomous driving technology is already here today, but there's still a long way to go. So on the truck side, more specifically, we haven't hit that first milestone yet. We haven't gone to a, a fully autonomous operation with no driver in the cab, um, but we're working, uh, we're working towards that, of course. And so when you think about the progression of the technology, we've got a lot of those foundational capabilities, whether it's uh, the vehicle's ability to perceive all of the road agents around it, the ability 
for the vehicle's computer to predict what all of the other road users are going to do on a real-time basis. All of that foundational technology is there. And what we're working on now is customizing to the trucking application. Uh, so some of the unique things about operating a truck versus a car, like long range stopping distances, the need to see far down the highway to anticipate uh, vehicles stopped on the shoulder, for example, pedestrians that shouldn't be on the highway, but are because of a broken down vehicle or something like that. Um, so it's a lot of those edge cases uh, that we're really focused on, as well as thinking through and working on some of the fundamental technology for being able to scale up the application once it is ready. So in some senses, uh, most of the foundation is there, uh, but we're really focused on uh, some of those really tough issues. That's the hurdle between having a really good demo and having a really truly commercializable product. So that's kind of the state of the technology and happy to go into more detail on that as interested. On the business model, you, you drew some really interesting analogies, Bob, and I think they're, they're pretty spot on. So we are pursuing what we refer to as a driver as a service business model. And what we mean by that, first and foremost, actually goes back to your first question, which is, who are we? Are we a technology company? Are we a manufacturer? Are we a logistics company? Technology company through and through. So we're going to make the autonomous driving technology. We're going to partner with manufacturers like Daimler to make that technology available to fleet operators. Um, and then, of course, there's an ecosystem of support that's going to be needed for these trucks as well. So it's early days, uh, but we're already starting to see a lot of this model come together. So I mentioned our partnership with Daimler. A couple other partnerships I can mention uh, is we have a partnership with Ryder, uh, who does maintenance and service for our autonomous trucking fleet. Right now, that's just for our truck fleet, but you can imagine how that par partnership could evolve to eventually supporting uh, future end customers who are using our technology and able to get service through a company like Ryder. We've also been collaborating with JB Hunt, uh, carrying goods for carrying freight for one of their leading customers uh, in Texas. And the purpose of that collaboration is to figure out how can JB Hunt, you know, a future customer of this technology, a company that's actually going to put it to use in their business as a logistics company, how can they prepare to be ready for that moment when the technology is ready? Um, and in terms of this power by the hour concept or a usage concept, it's actually something that we're being pretty flexible and open to the industry on. So we're going to make the technology. And what we've found is that depending on which company you talk to, there may be a different way that they're interested to uh, actually pay for that technology. Some folks might want to you know, pay for it up front and just own an asset that they know how they're going to use it. Um, and other folks might want to um, pay for it more on an ongoing usage basis. So we're staying pretty open-minded there. But the important part is who we have relationships which, with, which is really all parts of the ecosystem. Charlie, you're describing a rather uh, complex relationship with a lot of suppliers, a lot of vendors, and even the consumers that uh, you're targeting here. When you're affecting a lot of the decisions that you make, how much collaboration, for example, the implementation of distribution centers in urban areas is now becoming a significant part of an e-commerce strategy. So when you're evaluating how your relationship with Ryder or you know, the other organizations do you see it as, you know, that you described a lot of the ecosystem. Do you see it starting in the short haul or do you see it in almost every aspect of the business that you're trying and to respond to your, you know, your customers' expectations? There's a lot on the table here in terms of, the, you know, the short hauls, long hauls, as well as the distribution centers. How do you factor all those players into your uh, ecosystem? 
Yeah, Abe, the opportunity is so large, we could easily drown ourselves trying to go after everything at once. Uh, so it's something that we have to be very conscientious of uh, and be pretty focused and targeted about what are really the best first use cases, acknowledging that, hey, everything's on the table when you look 10, 15 years out. And the applications that we think are going to be best suited for early deployment are highway driving, line haul, and long haul routes. So think, you know, 200 miles or greater, um, dedicated repeatable lanes. So you're not working with a different distribution center or manufacturing facility every time for the pickup and drop off. Um, and leveraging what uh, a concept we call transfer hubs. Um, so this is an interesting concept. I'm not sure if you've come across this in some of your other supply chain work, but what we plan to do is really automate the highway driving and then leave the first and last mile, at least to start with, still to human-driven trucks. So think, uh, you know, you've got an origin and a destination. And uh, just like it is today, human-driven truck uh, shows up the origin, picks up that trailer. But instead of driving the entire 500 miles to get to the destination, they drive two to five miles. They drop that trailer at a transfer hub. It's picked up by an autonomous truck, which drives, you know, the 490 miles and then drops it at a transfer hub at the other end. And then a human driven truck again, takes it for that last mile to get to the final destination. Now, this is a really interesting model for a couple of reasons. One, you know, of course, technologically speaking, it helps us narrow down the scope of the problem for that early deployment. Um, but then when you think about the operational hurdles, uh, so much is going to need to change uh, about logistics when you think of autonomous vehicles at scale. Um, a truck showing up today, a driver plays a big role in that interaction point with the origin or the destination. We are the customers of these trucking companies in many cases. Um, and every operation is different. Um, and so drivers uh, play a huge role in just kind of managing that day-to-day -day complexity. And by leaving that interaction point uh, untouched, at least to start, it lowers a big barrier to entry to, to get involved with this technology. First, an observation. Um... When you were talking about the relationships, particularly with Rider, you know, to provide the technology maintenance, it struck me a little bit like Tesla putting in charging stations, right? Like if I buy the um, if I buy the electric car, that's great, but where do I charge it? Well, Tesla enabled adoption by putting in Tesla charging stations and uh, maintaining a truck is one thing. Uh, maintaining the autonomous technology, uh, you know, is another issue and is going to require a different skill set. And given Rider's uh, many locations, it strikes me that having Rider take on that role really is is sort of an incentive to adoption, like providing the charging stations or go way back, Kodak wanted to sell film, so it created the camera, right? You bought the camera with the film uh, and it solved that kind of problem. So that was kind of interesting. Um, around the um, transfer hub, another model, uh, I, I had a chance to talk to a chief supply chain officer who said he was really interested in this idea of autonomous vehicles. And he mentioned the transfer hub idea that you could use the autonomous vehicle for the long haul and then uh, use a you know a, a, an operator uh, truck to do the last mile. The other model he said that they were talking about, I don't know if, uh, who whether they were talking to you or not, but was a model where you would have sort of a tandem, where you might have one truck uh, in a two truck or a three truck convoy, one truck where an, uh, where a driver drove the truck, 
and it would be trailed by two autonomous vehicles or one autonomous vehicle. Is that another model you're hearing about or that customers are exploring? It's certainly a model that we see being explored by some of the other technology firms uh, in the space. It's not an application that we're pursuing. Um, just okay. from the experience that we've had in making a fully autonomous vehicle with our passenger cars, we found that you develop technology very differently when you are really focused on the end state you're going after. And so we're very cautious that we don't want to get caught up in some interim steps that might be exciting milestones, but not, might not be the right long-term technology path to get to the real scalable, commercially valuable uh, offering that we think that fully autonomous driving uh, can can produce. I, I won't go into the, some of the specifics on the the challenges we see with the um, the convoy model uh, that you described, but it's not something that we're pursuing at Waymovia. Great. You know, just based on how you see the technology evolving, do you have a timeline where you think you're going to be able to move beyond like what you're doing in Texas as kind of pilots to deployment? Automakers like GM are saying 2035 and, you know, all their vehicles will be electric. W what kind of timeline, if you can share with us, are you looking at for deployment? Yeah, we, we don't share firm uh, timeline projections, but I can give you a pretty good idea, which the, the technology is not a decade away. I think that's a big fork in the road that we see with some of our conversations is there's a lot of folks out there who say, wow, this sounds amazing. I can't wait until 2030. And no one's going to have to wait until 2030 for this technology uh, to begin uh, its initial scaling. Like I said, we've already got it on the passenger car side. And that's what really gives us the confidence to know that it's going to be ready to launch in the coming years. Now, the flip side of that is that the scaling of this technology is not going to be an overnight process. This is not build one widget and then manufacture a million widgets. This is really uh, an operationally intense, service uh, intense, partnership and collaboration intense type of technology. And so that initial launch will then kind of scale up and you'll see it uh, first on some initial routes in some initial geographies serving really specific use cases. And you'll see this gradual expansion where we add new routes, add new use cases, add new customers uh, while we scale up the volume of trucks. And when you look out far to say like 2030 or 2035, like your GM electric vehicle example, like I said, we don't make firm projections, but you know we do expect that by that point in time, there's going to be a lot of fully autonomous vehicles out there on the roads, both cars and trucks. And, and we think there's going to be a lot of Waymo uh, drivers operating those vehicles. Um, so it's an exciting time. I mean, it's a tough effort. So it's going to be certainly a lot of time and energy to get to that place. But what's exciting about it is that this technology is within reach. Um, this is not, you know, a hypothetical science fiction project here. Charlie, I think you hit the right term there and exciting, I think is a operative word in terms of the changes and the impact that you're describing here. Let's go to the other side. What are the major challenges that you're facing in implementing the solutions here, whether on VO or one. Uh, they, I mean, you're a technology company, so my assumption, as you indicated, technology is way ahead of us right now. So are we, you know, is it consumer acceptance? Is it regulatory? You know, where are your hurdles? Yeah, Abe, I mean, the technology is, is really advanced, but it still is the core challenge that we're trying to solve. Um, so there are a bunch of other challenges that come along with deploying that technology. But that's the really core vector that we are 
driving forward and trying to make progress on. So that's the obvious one, right? Like we need to get these things to work and we need to get them uh, able to work at scale. And we've got a, a reasonably clear path to do that, but it's going to take a lot of time and energy to do it. And then once you get to that point, and we're already starting to see some of this, like you said, there's there's a bunch of other factors that come into play too um, that we can't ignore and we can't put off until some later date. We have to be addressing those today. So you know, some of the examples are um, the regulatory hurdles. So we're fortunate that you know the U.S. in general and the Southwest region where we're operating most of our cars and trucks is generally a pretty supportive regulatory environment uh, for autonomous vehicles. Um, but there's a ton of complexity that goes into that. And so we spend tons of time working at all levels of, of government and public agencies um, in order to ensure that people know how this technology is going to be deployed and everybody's kind of ready and comfortable for that. One of the other, I think, interesting angles specifically for trucking is around operational complexity and operational readiness. You know, you, you were talking about it earlier, Abe, with just the depth and complexity of the collaborations we've got, whether it's with the manufacturers, the fleets, the service companies, their end customers, the actual shipping companies. Um, and so there's a bunch of questions about like, okay, so great, the truck can drive itself. Now, what do we do? How do we actually use it well? And how do we actually extract the value that this technology can promise and that's going to be a really kind of fun one in that it's going to be ever evolving, right? So the initial challenge we're working on is how do we get that first use case to work and prove out value? And then as you start going into all these other uh, use cases, each one's going to come with some challenging, but you know, fun challenging uh, types of uh, solutions to come up with. And then uh, less so on the trucking side, but um, certainly broadly speaking with autonomous driving, uh, public acceptance is is a huge issue as well. Um, so it's something that Waymo and and even before we were Waymo, when we were the Google self-driving car project, we've spent lots of time and energy in just building trust with our local communities, building trust with like the broad dialogue around autonomous driving technology uh, to ensure that you know we're not getting ahead of what people are are comfortable with us doing uh, and building and earning and keeping that trust with the public is is really essential to you know our identity as a company. Really interesting. It's uh, having lived in Phoenix for a while, uh, it was a curiosity when I first saw the, the Google vehicles on the road. I don't think it's a curiosity anymore. We're no longer, I mean, I accept that that car is out there and without the driver. So I agree with you. I think it's going to take some time, but um, it's easy to see that this is evolving. And more importantly, the adoption curve, I think, is starting to bleed into the general public that the acceptance of this. So really, uh, Charlie, I can't thank you enough for discussing this exciting topic with us. And we look forward to all the changes that you and Waymo are uh, not only driving, but uh, autonomously driving into the future. So uh, thank you very much, Charlie. We hope you'll be back for our next episode of The Rebound. I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Triplecock. All the best. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.